Lord, we thank you so much for this morning and this opportunity we have to get into your word, God. Lord, we want to hear from you, so give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. God, give us a mind to understand your principles and truths that we discover here. And Lord, give us a heart to receive all that you want for us. God, I know you have a word for each one of us this morning. So, Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to anoint this time, anoint your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hey, it's funny how the perspective changes when it comes to yourself. Like when somebody takes a long time to do something, you call them what? Slow. But when you take a long time, you say, I'm thorough here. Or when someone is set in, your way, in their ways, you say, you're so stubborn. But when you're that way, you say, I'm just firm. Or when the other person wins the game, you call it, oh, that, you're just lucky here. But when you win, you call it talent. Yeah. Or this perspective, when the other person talks about how great they are, you say, you're so proud. You're proud. But when you talk about how great you are, you say, that's right. (laughs) Yes, perspective is everything, isn't it? And you know what? Especially when it comes to living a life of faith. Perspective is everything. When the soldiers of Israel saw Goliath, they said, he is so big, we can never kill him. But when David saw Goliath, he said, he's so big, I cannot miss. Your perspective is important to faith. Well, as we continue in our study through this book of Hebrews, we come now to chapter 11. In this passage, we come to this example of Abraham and how his faith is seen by the perspective he keeps. And what we see here this morning is Abraham's eternal perspective. And that's our title of our message today. Abraham's eternal perspective. Now, we're going to be studying chap- Hebrews chapter 11 from verse 8 through 19 this morning. We, we did one verse last week, verse 7, and we've been going little by little through this chapter. So Hebrews 11 from verse 8 through 19, we're going to take a bigger chunk here this morning than we did last week. So Abraham's eternal perspective and we're going to see three things and this is our outline it kept him number one trusting in god's plan number two trusting in god's promises and number three trusting in god's power and those are the three things we're going to see here so let's begin number one abraham's eternal perspective number one in our outline trusting in god's plan now we're going to be covering hebrews 11 8 through 10 in this section by the way I'm using the New King James Version uh, in our reading here. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says here, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. We'll stop right there. So we begin with these words, by faith Abraham. Now the writer here introducing another example of an Old Testament saint that had the kind of faith that he'd been writing about. Remember back in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, the definition of what faith is was found there. I mean, look up. Look up to Hebrews 
11, verse 1, it says here, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And when we study that verse, remember, the word substance means in original language like the solid confidence. And, and the word evidence means a strong conviction. So faith is this unshakable confidence of things hoped for. And faith is this unshakable conviction of things not seen. So the writer brings in Abraham as an example who had this kind of unshakable faith. Now, as you remember, as we got into this chapter, the Hebrews 11 is often titled like the Hall of Faith or the Heroes of Faith because listed in this chapter is Old Testament saints and their faith and how they lived it out. The first example we saw was Abel, whose faith honored God in the way he worshiped. Then there was Enoch, whose faith honored God in the way he walked with God. And then last week we saw in verse 7, Noah's faith was seen when God asked Noah to build this ark, right, in preparation for the coming rain and flood that Noah had not even ever seen rain. He never saw rain, let alone a flood. But in trusting obedience, that was our title of our message last week, he built the ark and did all what was asked of him to do. If you missed any of this, you can grab the CD or we've been posting the messages online too. Well, next on the list is who we come to now, and that is Abraham. So that's why in verse 8, it says, by faith now, Abraham, and look, it says, obeyed. Now understand the word obeyed there in the sense of this passage is talking about that he obeyed immediately. He heeded what God said. So when when uh, by faith Abraham obeyed when God called him to what? To leave his home and go out to another land that God would give to his family as an inheritance. Many of you know the story. And that speaks of Canaan, the promised land that the nation of Israel later took possession of. But when Abraham left, it says here, he left not knowing. Isn't this crazy? Not knowing where he was going. In other words, God did not give him the name of the place. He didn't give him like the GPS coordinates. He didn't give him a map, say, okay, follow this, go here. He didn't know. God said, go. And he said, okay, I go. Abraham had nothing but God's word that he had a future plan for him and his family and his descendants after him. So Abraham went just on the basis of God's word. I like what one pastor said. They said, Noah believed without seeing. Abraham believed without knowing. Isn't that good? Can you imagine Abraham coming home to Sarah, his wife, said, Honey, pack up. God said, go. And the wife says, Well, wait, 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 wait. Where are we moving to? He said, I don't know. God didn't say, but we're going to go. Could you imagine that? I mean, how many of you wives would say, You're crazy. I'm saying right here. But this is the faith. This is faith to take God at his word to obey immediately and be willing to let him lead you. And you know what this is? Step by step. And this is Abraham's faith that he's trusting in God's plan. Even though he's getting only one step, he's trusting in God's plan. That's our heading in this outline. Is God leading you maybe this morning, step by step? You're wondering, God, you're telling me this, but what about the next step? He says, I'm going to tell you, just go. No, I need to know the other step. But God's saying, no, be like Abraham. Take that first step, and I will lead you step by step. And trust 
in my plan for your life. All right, then in verse 9, it says, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So when Abraham reached his destination, the land of promise, it says here basically by faith Abraham dwelt. That means he lived there as in a foreign country. In other words, he lived like a foreigner. He was a traveler. He was a sojourner here in the land. And it was evident, you know how? In that he lived in tents. What it's saying, he didn't buy any property. He didn't settle down here. He didn't come into the promised land in that land of Canaan, which God eventually led him to and say, well, this is it. I'm going to settle down here. I'm going to buy property. This is the land God has given me. He didn't do that. And the writer even adds that even Isaac, his son, and Jacob, his grandson, didn't obtain any property too. Actually, the plan wasn't fulfilled till over 500 years later when the nation of Israel entered the promised land. Interesting, isn't it? So, here's the idea. Abraham never possessed the land. His son and grandson never possessed the land. But in all those years, Abraham never stopped having faith. Isn't that unbelievable? Abraham, you know what? It's telling us Abraham lived this constant life of faith, following God step by step. And if it meant living in tent and living like a foreigner, then that's what it is. You know what? No wonder the Apostle Paul dedicated one whole chapter to Abraham in Romans 4, saying that he is the father of all who believe. Abraham basically is the father of faith because his whole life was lived like this. It was lived on faith. You know what? Many times God puts us in that place where you can only live by faith, that it's just relying on him and nothing else. That's Abraham right here, and we should be inspired. So how was he just able to live in tents and not really settle and wait upon the Lord? Well, verse 10 tells us. Look at verse 10. It says, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And this is awesome. The secret to Abraham's unshakable faith was that he waited. Now that word waited in original language, it means to intensely look forward to. So Abraham did not set his sight on this inheritance on the earth, but his sight, his eyes were set on the eternal place. And this eternal place is, the verse says, the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And you know what he's talking about? Heaven, right? eternity. That's what he looked for. That was his home. You see, it was okay for him to never possess the promised land in his lifetime. For his home, his place was farther. For now, he was just passing through. So the idea here is this. His unshakable faith was because Abraham had this eternal perspective. That's the title of our message. We're going to see that theme. Abraham's eternal perspective. That, that's the underlying thing. Turn over for a moment to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Turn to the left. Or, yeah, turn to the left over there. I know many of us have our tablets and phones and we just go, okay, I'm there. So I'm talking right now so the guys with real Bibles can flip over and we'll, we're giving them time. I mean, I use the iPad too. I read on my iPhone. I, you know, but, but it's okay. It's all right. No, no problem. So Colossians chapter 3. 
Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 1 and 2. It reads, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above, where Christ is sitting, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And then verse 2, set your mind on things where? Above, not on things on the earth. So this is what it's talking about for even you and I, what Paul is writing here to Christians, to believers, that we are to have an eternal perspective. The eternal perspective is to see an eternal God working His eternal plans to one day bring us into eternity. That's the idea. That everything we do, everything in our life is based on our eternal perspective. Abraham held to this perspective. And that's how, even if he never experienced, you know, owning a piece of land there, and he knew his family down the line, he'll, they'll, they'll own it. But because he looked to something farther, he trusted God that that would be accomplished and that his eternal plan, God's eternal plan, will come to pass. And Abraham was okay for that. Because he saw God in all of his eternalness and his power and everything that he can do. Well, all this brings us to the writer's point here. In our section, this is the point. Unshakable faith is seen when Abraham heard God and locked his eyes on this unseen things of the eternal. Unshakable faith is seen when Abraham heard God and locked his eyes on the unseen seen things of the eternal he heard god call him and then he locked on to the eternal god what he was saying and he just held on all the way you know a, a few years ago we were um uh, in a, a number of years ago i forget when now but we, we were in california and we were on a trip over there and um, and we ended up in this uh, outlet mall this outdoor outlet you know one of those outlet malls in san clemente and while all the girls were shopping and everything, you know, I ended up uh, just sitting down, you know, outside. And I sat down by something that, that I'd never seen before. And it's, it's called a silent disco. You ever heard about that? You ever seen that? It was crazy. It was the first time I saw that. There was a group of people, maybe like 30 to 40 people in this square, yeah? And they were dancing, and they're going off like this. And in the middle of this open square in the outdoor mall, and each pair of, of uh, or each person had a pair of headphones, wireless headphones on their head. So you saw wireless headphones, and they're just... And, and it looked like they're moving to music, but there was no music. You couldn't hear it, but they could hear it because they were listening to it through the headphones. So imagine me, just an outsider sitting down, and all of a sudden I'm like, this is strange. They're like... I can't dance, but yeah, you get the idea, right? And then all of a sudden, you, you see them, you know, and it's like, oh, this is, this is strange. And then they start dancing again. And then you're sitting there. You don't hear anything. You don't hear anything the DJ was saying. You don't hear no music. They're, they just look like a bunch of crazy people there. And it was a funny sight for me as an outside observer. Well, you can probably say that, Abraham's family, maybe, you know, his parents and all, maybe they thought he was crazy. You heard God say, what? You're, you're leaving and you don't know where you're going? I mean, to an outside observer, Abraham seemed like super, like, nuts, crazy, right? But Abraham's faith 
heard what others didn't hear. And you could almost say that he marched to a different drummer, right? Listen, living a life of faith is like that. People who don't know God, they don't understand you. You look crazy to them. You look, well, you're, what? You don't do this or you don't go here. You're not doing that. What? But you march to a different drummer. You hear God's voice and his call. So you know what? Keep the faith. Keep following God. Following God. Keep trusting his plan. Keep your eyes, right, locked on the unseen things of the eternal. And God will guide you step by step into his master plan. You know, as a church, we, we support uh, Rose Martinez and uh, uh, someone I know from long ago. And, but she has several orphanages in Thailand and also in Cambodia. And I was just emailing her. Her newsletter came out. And uh, she, she's coming to the States to uh, be able to take a little furlough and all that. And um, I, I just emailed her and said, you got to come, come and visit Maui and come and share with us. But... but you know, through her, her ministry, she has rescued and raised up many children in this orphanage. And even many of them have grown up to serve, and they're back in the orphanage ministering to the new kids that are coming in. But I was thinking about, as we're looking at Abraham here, how she got started. And you know what she told me? When she told me years ago that what happened in the beginning, and I think it's been like 38 years for her now in Thailand, but... What happened is she felt this calling from the Lord. The Lord was calling her to go to Thailand. And that was it. She got the plane ticket. She booked the flight and got the plane ticket. And she just went and landed in Thailand. That was it. She didn't have any itinerary. She didn't have any contact, nothing. The Lord just told him, go. And she went to Thailand. But while there, she was there and wondering what to do next, she happened, right, to run into this elderly woman who was looking for someone to take over her small orphanage. Isn't that amazing? That was the Lord. So with 13 kids in a house, she, took, she started this ministry. Now, 38 years later, the Lord has opened up five orphanages in Thailand, one of which is a baby's home. She also has an orphanage and a preschool in Cambodia. And I was, I was reading that they reach out to over 400 kids there in Cambodia, with food and basic education and, of course, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amazing. You guys, that's the life of faith. That's how many saints before us in Abraham have gone out and lived their life of faith, trusting in God's plan. So this is Abraham's perspective. Let's go to number two. Number two in our outline is trusting God's promises we've seen in abraham's eternal perspective it kept him trusting in god's plan well number two trusting in god's promises and here in this section is going to be hebrews 11 11 through 16 take a look with me here now verse 11 by faith sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised Verse 12, therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now the writer here brings up a second way Abraham showed his faith and it includes his wife, Sarah. It says here, by faith, Sarah receives strength. In other words, she was given the ability to have a child even though she was past the age to have a baby. 
Did you know when she finally had their son Isaac, Sarah was 90 years old? And it says here, for she judged or reckoned God to be faithful to what he had promised. God had promised it. You guys, gonna, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. And so then from one man, the writer says here in verse 12, Abraham the father was as good as dead. In other words, he was past the age too. Abraham was 100 years old when they had Isaac. Yet, the writer says, from Abraham came the nation of Israel with so many people, as many as the stars of the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And that's a reference to God's promises that he made to Abraham and Sarah back in Genesis and, 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 and that he would father a nation, that he would father people, Israel. So the idea is both Abraham and Sarah were trusting in God's promises. That's our heading here. And they became, became parents in their old age. And let me add this too. Now, this promise that they would have a son, it was first given to Abraham. And Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was 65 years old. Think about that. The baby never came until 25 years later. Now, during those 25 years, their faith was not perfect. In Genesis 16, Abraham gave in to Sarah's idea to have a child with a maidservant. Let that be your son. We're not having any kids. I don't know if God's going to do this. So Abraham went in and they had a son, Ishmael. And you know what? That was a failure of faith. And then in Genesis 18, Sarah laughed in doubt when God told Abraham that, you know what? You're going to have a son in one year. She laughed. So understand, they weren't perfect in faith. They both wavered without, with doubt to hear. There must have been, though, growth and change along the way because now they're listed here in this hall of faith they came to see the eternal eternal perspective that the eternal god keeps his promise and you know what for for me and and you and i i think isn't it nice to see that even though their faith wasn't perfect god still listed their name here isn't that good because sometimes we think i can't do that whatever and then we kind of shut our mind off to what we're studying here no, God still put their name here, even though their faith wasn't perfect. And didn't Jesus say that even if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains, right? Matthew 17, 20. What happened is even their small faith brought them a son. Even their small faith grew. And finally, I believe, at least they put their trust in God's promises. And that's the key. Corey Tim Boom put it well when she says, Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. I like that. Well, then the writer says in verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, who are these that died in faith? Well, in context, in what we're reading, it, it refers to the Jewish patriarchs already mentioned in verse 9. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They passed away, basically, not having received the promise. What's that? Receiving and entering and owning the promised land. But seeing it afar off, it says that, that it wasn't... It, it, they could see that, you know what, this is for our offspring. It may not be for us, but it's for our offspring down the line. So they embraced 
or welcome, that word could say, the thought that they were just strangers and pilgrims passing through the earth on their way to eternity. So what we see here in this verse is that this is another example of how these patriarchs died in faith in trusting what God promised. Our heading again, that what God promised was as good as done. They are trusting God's promises here. You know, I found this statistic that there there are in the Old Testament 7,706 promises of God. And in the New Testament, there's 1,104 promises of God. So if you put it together, there's a total of 8,810 promises in the whole Bible alone. Now, let me ask you, do you think that's too many promises for God to handle? No, of course not. We know that for God, he, he's not going to fail, not one of them. Like it's been said, right? God can do anything but fail, right? For those who say such, uh, verse 14 now, for those who say sh- such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. In other words, this verse is saying, in other words, people who say they are strangers and pilgrims passing through like these patriarchs are really seeking another place. Now, this sounds like Abraham, what we read earlier. Verse 15, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have an opportunity to return. So the writer saying, if what these sojourners are looking for was property on earth, then they would have gone back there to where they came from. Abraham would have just gone back to the land of Ur, the place he used to live. But verse 16, But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, what mattered to these patriarchs was a better place, the heavenly country. They wanted to live in heaven to be with God. And that is where they wanted to call home. And then no wonder, it says in this verse, in verse 16, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. Because of this, this kind of heart they had, God's like, hey, yeah, I'm your God. These are ones who seek me. They kept in that way an eternal perspective. As they honored him by trusting God's word, that he would one day for sure bring them home to be with him in heaven. God is like, hey, I'm your God. You're my people. Listen to what Numbers 23:19 says. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? What's the answer? No. He's been faithful to his promises. So here in this section, the writer's overall point is this. Unshakable faith is when you count God's promises as good as done. Unshakable faith is when you count God's promises as good as done. I came across this story. Two little girls were overheard counting their pennies. One said, I have five pennies. The other said, I have ten. No, said the first little girl, you have just Five cents, the same as I. I can see it. I can see it in your hand. But then the second child quickly replied, My father said 
that when he comes home tonight, he would give me five more pennies and I would have five cents more and then I would have 10 cents. So see there, I have 10 cents. Isn't that great? This is that unshakable faith. It, it was a confidence of what she did not yet see. She counted the five cents as already being hers because it had been promised to her by her father. And that's the kind of faith that will see miracles, you guys, that you and I need to have. That's the kind of faith we find hope, especially when things don't always go the way we wish. Do you see God's promises in that way? Do you see these promises are made by an an eternal God who will never, ever break His promise? He will do as He says, even when it looks impossible. And you can count His promises as already being done. That's what faith is. John MacArthur wrote, Faith is powerful. Faith sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, touches the intangible, and accomplishes the impossible. Amen? Well, let's go on here to number three in our heading, trusting in God's power. Abraham's eternal perspective kept him trusting in God's plan, trusting in God's promises, and now we see trusting in God's Power, And we're going to see the rest of our section, Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 here. So take a look with me here. Hebrews 11, 17 and 18, it reads, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. All right, the writer now goes on here in a third way that Abraham showed his faith. He says, look, by faith, Abraham, he offered up Isaac as a sacrifice, basically, when God tested him by asking him to offer up his only begotten son. That was his only son, you guys. That was the promised son. That that was the one the nation was going to come out of. And And Abraham obeyed God, even though God had told him now that Isaac was specifically the one from whom the whole nation would come from. So that's what the writer is talking about here. So Abraham's greatest test of faith came when God told him to offer up the son that was promised. That's the idea here. Now, this is an incredible story. We went over this one when we were studying the book of Genesis. And this comes from Genesis 22. And let me just give you a brief kind of idea of what went on there. God had asked Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice him as a burnt offering to the Lord on Moriah, which is actually, interesting enough, is where Jerusalem sits today. Abraham took Isaac in the wood, and they traveled three days to get to Moriah. I was thinking, wow, that's three days of testing, yeah, for Abraham. Think about that. Three days, you know, of of, of traveling, thinking, you know, I got to offer up my only son, the son of the promise. What? I don't know what's going on, but I wonder what was going through his mind. You know, will, will he obey? Will he heed the request? Can you imagine? I mean, this command from God contradicted the promise of God. And that's not easy, right? If God gives you a promise, if God gives you a word, but then God says something else and seems to contradict. I mean, think about Abraham. No son, no descendants. No descendants and no land. 
Yeah, for the nation. Abraham, though, was trusting God's plan for the land and trusting God's promise for a son. But now this, I wonder if he was thinking, how does this all work? I don't know. I was thinking, you know, these are the times when we can get angry at God, when we get bitter, when we get frustrated with what, what God wants to do. We almost give up on God. And many people walk away from God at this moment. But not Abraham. His faith did not waver. Abraham still trusted God's plan, God's promise, even though it was a contradictory command. So the story goes on in Genesis 22 that on Moriah, Abraham built this altar and placed the wood on top. And then he put Isaac on, t- on top of the wood. It was a burnt offering, right? And he lifted up his arm and he was about to thrust the knife down into Isaac and offer him up as a sacrifice. Then the Lord called out to Abraham and stopped him. And the Lord said in Genesis twenty-two twelve, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him for now. I know you fear God. Since you have not without, withheld your son, your only son, from me. So what we learn when we're studying that, that this was Abraham's ultimate test. This was to give up what was the most precious thing to him and to bow to God's will no matter what. And you know what? Abraham passed this test. He showed God. He let God know that he would never let the gift become more important than the giver of the gift, right? God is always number one, no matter what, not the gift. Isn't that Amazing. I think what's amazing how Abraham, without needing any explanation, unquestionably did what God asked him to do, even if it went against everything else that God had told him before. That's faith, you guys. Madam Gillian once said, Our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, do what seems unreasonable, and expect what seems impossible and then she said this we live by promises not by explanations heavy that's so good may it be for us too now our last verse though explains something that was going on in abraham and so verse 19 look at this this is our last verse here this morning it says concluding that god was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative way abraham was concluding the word means like calculating he put into the equation you can say of what was going on in his mind that the only thing that made sense and what god wanted him to do is that god is able to raise isaac up from the dead do you understand that that even if he did sacrifice even if the knife came down that he believed that god would raise him from the dead and keep all his promise that he keep his plan intact and in a figurative sense the writer says abraham did receive isaac from the dead that is even though abraham never brought that knife down in his heart this is what the writer saying in his heart abraham had already sacrificed the son isaac he was as good as dead to abraham but figuratively also isaac was restored to abraham when the lord stopped him now take a note here um the story goes on in genesis 22 where then god provided a ram caught caught in a bush you know to be sacrificed as a birth 
burnt offering instead of Isaac, which is a picture of how Christ came and died for our sins as a substitute on the cross for us. We should have died, right? We should have been penalized for our sins, but Christ died in our place, and that was this ram, which is the Lamb of God we know today when Jesus died on the cross. We see in Romans 8.32, God's heart, he did not spare his own son. So we also see even as Abraham the father is ready to, to sacrifice the son, so God's heart is, did not, you know, spare his son, did sacrifice his son for us. And you know what's interesting? That thousands of years later in that same place, Moriah, that's where Jesus was crucified. Okay, the idea here is Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son because he not only believed in God's plan, in God's promises, but he also believed in God's power that God could raise Isaac from the dead. He was trusting in God's power, and that's our heading here. In Genesis 22, 5, it says this. It says, Abraham told his servants at Mount Moriah, stay here with the donkey. You know, you guys stay here. I and the lad, we're going to go yonder and worship. And then he said, and we will come back to you. He left his servant saying, you know, you know what, we're going to go up here. I'm not, I'm not going to come back alone. But we, the boy and I, we're going to come back. This is amazing because you know what? For, for this was someone who never, ever seen anybody raised from the dead. Never, ever seen or read anything like, I mean, we have in our Bibles. But you know what? Abraham believed. Noah shows the duration of his faith when building the ark for 125 years. But Abraham shows the depth of his faith when he offered up his only son of promise. So our last point here today is this. The writer saying, Unshakable faith is seen in Abraham's solid conviction in God's power to raise the dead. The unshakable faith is seen in Abraham's solid conviction in God's power to raise the dead. Do you believe that? Do you believe? I believe he can. We read it in the Bible. I believe. I believe he can. I believe he can take something so broken, so messed up, looking dead, but he can raise it up into a new life. You know, long time ago, um, when I was in my teens, I owned a 68 Chevy Malibu. And um, I was driving it, and some of the other kids, and we were going up to a summer youth camp when the car died. And I couldn't get it started. And, and a friend came and told me to the camp, and it was, it was like dead. It wouldn't start. It wouldn't go. And I didn't know what I was going to do. But, you know, one day later, um, another friend said, hey, I was praying. And the Lord came to me and gave me one word, timing. And then another friend who was good with cars, he, he, he was looking at it. And he turned the distributor, you know, set the, moved the timing a little bit. And I started, boom, it came together like that. And I remember getting home, my father, back, this is old days, where he had the timing gun, right? Yeah, my father, you know, put on the, the timing gun, and it was set perfect, too. And the guy just went, mm, it was the Lord, yeah? I thought the car was literally dead. I thought, this is it, old car, you know, uh, you know oh, this is it, Paul, that's it. But m- my car, I thought, was dead, miraculously came alive. Literally, it was brought back to life. Hey, God can do that for you spiritually. Spiritually, you guys. 
That is what Abraham believed, and that's what I believe. This unshakable faith, this solid conviction in God's power to raise you up from the dead, to bring you back from what sin has killed you spiritually, to bring you back from from the consequences of sin, of, of relationships maybe that have died, yeah? That maybe you feel like, oh, I have these gifts, but then I went and wandered from God, and now, oh God, I feel like my talents are dead. No, God can bring you back alive from the dead. Do you believe that? God is powerful enough to make you into a new life. To bring, raise you up in the power of the resurrection, Scripture says. And to make you, remember 2 Corinthians 5.17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I believe that. I believe God's power. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm done, you know. Or this relationship is done. Or this situation is done. I blew it, yeah. God, I confess that I know it was me, but I can, it can never happen. How do you know? Is that like God says, well, you know, everything else I can do, but that one thing cannot. Sorry, your problem cannot. No, we know better. We know God's power where he can bring us back from that deadness of sin and what sin is ruined and we thought is dead and God, gone. God has the power to raise the dead. Amen? Amen? And that's what we believe in. And that's what faith is, you guys. This solid conviction in our heart that knowing, I know I cannot, but the Holy Spirit can. I know I cannot, but Jesus in my life can. Following Him can. I know I cannot, but the Father has this plan for me, and He promised me. And even though I cannot see, and it contradicts everything. God, I know, I know the Bible says I'm a new creation, but I don't see it. Yeah? God, I know that the, the, the Bible says you have a plan, a future, and a hope for my life, but God, I cannot see it. I don't know how this is going to work. I'm trying to hold on to this. You know how? By God's power. You believe in God's power that He can do those things. That's keeping your eyes on the eternal things. On God's eternal plan, His eternal promise, and His eternal power that can work in your life like never before. You guys, don't walk and live this life in defeat anymore. God has a plan, and He has a promise for you that He wants to make you new. That He is working in you, yeah, to become more like Him. That, that everything He does, right, He's going to complete it. That's his promise. And you know why he can promise that? And you know why he can have that plan? Because he has that power to do it. So we keep that eternal, yeah? We keep keep the eternal sight there. We keep looking. We lock our eyes on those things. Even though it doesn't make sense. Even though you look out in your life and go, I don't know, Lord. I cannot see. You got to look farther into the eternal, yeah? Even though you feel like, I cannot do it. you got to look farther to God's power. Even though it seems like, I don't know, God, and you, you said this was your will, and I made this step. I cannot see the next step, and it seems so bad. I cannot see. You trust in God's plan. You trust in God's purpose. You trust in God's power. Think about this. The night before Jesus was crucified, he knew full well what was in store, right? 
He knew he was going to die for the sins of the world, right? He knew that. He put aside any, any, anything. He said, God, not my will, your will be done, right? It wasn't about him no more. He goes, Lord, whatever you like, yeah? And I'll tell you, taking that step and understanding God's plan, right, to bring salvation, isn't that faith? Isn't that the faith we're supposed to have? He knew that going through the suffering and death would impact the eternity of millions of people. So what did he do? He humbled himself, right? And he did something no one would ever think was a sensible thing to do, to die on the cross for everyone else. But Jesus kept his eye on the eternal plan and purposes of God. And that's what it is, you guys. That's the eternal perspective. That's what we got to keep looking at. No matter what you're going through this morning, do not get caught up in thinking, this is it. This is my life. Oh, great. Thanks, God, for my life right now. Yeah. And you think it seems like it's going to keep going on and on in that way. But remember, this isn't everything here. And maybe it's a step. Maybe they get another step. But we got a big step when we go to heaven, right? And all this is going to be like gone like that. I mean, you compare life here on earth to eternity. Life here on earth is like that. Like that, right? So do not let the struggles, the pain, the problems, the trials, the issues, the hurts, the frustrations, all that. Do not let that cloud your vision no matter what you go through. Keep your eyes on the eternal. Don't be like Esau who sold his birthright for a bowl of stool. Yeah? For that. Trading the future for the present. No. Keep your eyes to the eternal. I'll close with this. In the 1924 Olympics, Eric Little of Scotland refused to run in the Olympic trials when he, the trial came on Sunday. He was a committed Christian. This was his conviction. And, and he was like the favorite in the race. But he sacrificed his opportunity to participate in his race now. Yeah. Because it was on Sunday. He would have got, won a gold medal. He could have done all that. He, he, he could have returned to Britain with the, being a national hero, yeah, that he won this medal in his race. But he held to his faith, his solid conviction. But he did run another race, and he ended up getting a medal in that. God blessed him. But think about this. Later that year, Little went to China as a missionary. He taught science at a college in uh, Tietzin for some years, and then he committed himself for, for more service on the mission field, uh, a demanding task of rural evangelism, traveling many miles in rugged conditions on foot or on bicycle. When the Japanese invaded China during World War II, they captured Little and sent him to a prison camp in 1943. He was one of 1,800 prisoners packed into a tiny facility. He, he, he uh, did what he could, though, to be a witness and light in the camp. He did what he could to help people. He organized little events and taught hymns and had services and led Bible studies. And on February 21st, 1945, just a month now before uh, the war ended and he could have been freed, 
little left died of brain of a brain tumor. Seems tragic. You can see that that uh, uh, little though he was passionate for Jesus. He didn't pull out, you know pull back at all. He went all out for Jesus there. He could have not even gone to the mission field. He could have remained in Britain and be a famous star and had money and be a national hero. But he decided to go on the mission field even if it were to cost him his life. You know why? He chose to follow the will of God with eternity set in his eyes. That's it, you guys. No matter what we go through, no matter what the end is, no matter what it is, we know the truth of God. We know Jesus Christ and who He is. We know what's up ahead for us. That's the kind of faith we see here with Abraham. So let us have Abraham's eternal perspective also. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to a close here, God, give us eyes, Lord, Give us the eyes that lock on to you, that we would have an eternal perspective, God. Lord, that we would stop looking at the temporal things and thinking that this is it and getting all caught up into that, but have an eternal perspective of our eternal God and his eternal promises and his eternal power, that we would see things differently with glasses, Lord, of the eternal and there we would find faith and trust in your plan and promises and trusting in your power, God, that we could get through the hardships of this life, Lord, with you. God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just fill us in and empower us, God. I pray for anyone here right now that has been struggling and that has only been looking at what, what is right around him, right around them, God, and not looking up and above to who you are, what you've done and what you've promised us and what you can do. You know, as your eyes are closed right now, I want to give you an opportunity to just give your heart, your life to God. If you've come here and you've never given your life to Jesus and you hear the Lord speaking to you, you hear the Spirit moving upon your heart. You feel it even, God. I want, to, I want you to put your hand up and tell Jesus, I need you. I want you. If you want to receive Christ this morning, anyone here? If you want to receive Christ, anyone here? Just put your hand up and let God know right now. Perhaps you're here and you somehow made it here this morning and you have been struggling and it's because, well, you made a mess of things. Your sin has become a problem. And, but now you want to be freed. And, and God has drawn you here. You, you've just been drawn to come and seek God. And You know what? God loves you. God wants to forgive you. God wants you to give you a new start. God wants to clean the slate. And he's, he's here with open arms. Jesus is come, saying, come to the cross. Perhaps you want to rededicate your life to the Lord right now. I want you to put your hand up right now. Anyone here? God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else? Show the Lord. God, I want you. I want to rededicate and recommit to you. Anyone else here? Maybe you're here this morning and, um, well, you are going through those trials. You are going through those, those situations. You are going through those things that 
Paul, it looks like your hopes have died. It looks like your expectations have died. Relationships, Paul. It looks like, looks like everything's dying around you. Put your hand up and say, Lord, but I know I believe in your power. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you back there. God has the power to change things in your life. Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else? The Lord wants to tell you that I'm here. No worries. I'm going to make it work out. I love you. I have a plan and purpose in your life. I have a future for you. You can put your hope in me. Anyone else here? God bless you. Lord God, I pray for all these who have just raised their hands right now. And I pray for those who are rededicating their life to you. God, as, as I pray, may it be their prayer, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you for your forgiveness and cleansing. Thank you that you received me back even though I've sinned before you and gone away. Thank you that, that you're here right now as I recommit my life to you that you, you receive me with open arms, with love, that you're grabbing me right now and saying, I love you, I want you, I'm going to renew you, I'm going to bring you back, and we're going to go. We're going to walk this world together. Pray for those who've been struggling in those hardships, and pray for those whose eyes have only been on, on the earth, on the things around them, not having that eternal perspective. And I pray, God, that you would... Give all of us, Lord, eyes that are set on eternity, Lord. That we have eternity on our eyes, Lord, right now. And those who need to know your power is there to rise us up, raise us up from the dead, God. Raise us up right now. Raise us up in your Holy Spirit. May your Spirit fall down upon us right now and fill us, God, like never before, God. May we experience you and your power, your strength, your ability, God, Right now, Lord, that you would bring us up from the dead. Lord, let life come again. Let, let, let the plants start coming up from the ground, Lord. As you bring healing, as you bring freedom, as you bring hope, God. As we put our eyes upon you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I pray for all of us that you would help us to love you more and keep our priority on you, that we fall in love with you over and over again. Thank you for being here, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Whew.